Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Stephen, you are playing one of my favorite games of all time. I am. And that is Hollow Knight. Yeah. Yeah, it came out last year for PC, released on Switch the same day as E3 at Nintendo's press conference. At which point, as someone who is currently unemployed, I immediately downloaded and then played all of. <laughs> uh, so I, I just played that game very recently. I played through all of it. I did every single thing that you could do in that game. Uh, and I just want to hear what you think about it. I'm so excited to talk about Hollow Knight. Me too. I, I remember we talked about it a little bit in one of our earlier episodes because that was when that was the pre Steven had a switch era where I just went like, cool, that sounds great. I can't wait to play it right but now. I'm on the same level so we could have a more fruitful discussion. <laughs> Hollow Knight is wonderful. So you definitely you and others have drawn parallels to Dark Souls and sort of the old school Metrovania games, um, which has now just become its own genre. So I don't even know if old school is, is warranted. But immediately loved the art style and uh, the music is fantastic. Um, it does have a bit of a slow start. I think you even mentioned that whereas in Dark Souls, it works that you're kind of thrown in and like not given like super concrete directions. In this game, it's a little bit uh, <clears throat> not jarring, but like I think it could use a little bit of an inciting event. Yeah. Just because I think that like. I wasn't sure. I was a little bit trepidatious that the game was going to have like a not that I'm inherently against this, but I was like anticipating a more sophomoric tone, like with the art style. Like I was kind of expecting it to go like a Castle Crashers route, which I wasn't really mm. into. And I'm really pleasantly surprised that it's like, no, this is just like a really fully realized like dark fantasy worlds that happens yeah. to have this like art style. And I'm so much more into that. So I think that once I learned that after playing for the first uh, couple hours, I was a lot more immersed in the world itself. I think I got that tone because the first place you find is called Dirt Mouth. And I'm like, all right, it's like, what, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. But now I love it because now I'm like, oh, this is just Red Wall with bugs. OK, I'm mm -hmm. on. I'm in. Sign me up. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think the uh, the other thing that takes a little bit of getting used to is the uh, platforming, because I think the jumping is a little bit of on a different rhythm than one would normally expect in a game like this. Mm. And that like. You cannot, and maybe you unlock different abilities later on, because I just got the dash ability, which is a game changer, but you can't jump until you've like fully landed. Right. Uh, so like that feels fun going up, but when you're scaling down, it's a little bit like you might be like, well, I'm sure hoping that there aren't a bed of nails beneath me because I can't, yeah. like, the <laughs> camera. Can't yeah. And, and that, that's not to say that that's a weakness of the game. It's just something that like, in the first couple hours I had to get used to because I think it's a game that alongside Dark Souls is very difficult. So feeling like you're in control of the character is like crucial to a difficulty curve like that. Um, but once that all set in and once I got to the second area, uh, which is the Greenlands, I think. Uh, yeah. Is that where you ended up? Green Path? Green Path. Yeah. I guess you can go in any direction. So I'm I'm in Green Path now and I just beat what I would consider the litmus test boss, um, which was Hornet, uh, mm -hmm. who's a character that kind of looks like you, but she's way better. I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as I, as I was fighting her, like I, you know, died for the fifth time and I was like, can I just play as Hornet? Like, can I just like, switch characters? It's funny you mention that there's a DLC that they're working on where it'll be an entire campaign where you play as Hornet. 
That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, I, I like that. I think Dark Souls does that too when you fight enemies that kind of fight like you. Yeah. Because um, the first couple bosses are like these big... Well, actually, there are little bugs wearing big armor, which seems to be a recurring theme of like these weak little creatures like hiding in a more powerful, like empty shell. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm really, really loving it. I think it's all like n- at this point, I like kind of have a grasp on like, OK, like I know how the map works. I've, I've purchased everything in the shop. I also honorable mention to the shopkeeper being my favorite NPC in the game. Uh, which one? Like, the, the small bug guy? The I think the woman who goes like, huh, Bonanada. Oh yeah, Bonanada. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The way the way she sighs is like anyone who's ever worked retail. It's like mm-hmm. I know that sigh. I know that sigh very well. I, I'm 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 feeling. Yeah. I I know what you're feeling. Yeah, and that's the other thing too. I'm I'm going a bit all over the place, but there's so many great NPCs you find, and that's one of my favorite things about Dark Souls, and they do it in a very like minimalist way. Like you might meet someone every so often this game keeps it a little bit more consistent which i'm enjoying yeah the big the big bug that uh is like your cab around the world is great um, oh the stag it, yeah yeah it reminds me a lot of you ever play final fantasy 9 nope. i know you're not okay well there is a giant underground transportation system that's just like bugs climbing on the wall and it reminded me a lot of that in a good way yeah I love it. I I'm I can definitely see myself being inspired to complete all of it, especially now that I have the journal where you get like a description of the enemies if you've mm-hmm. killed a certain number of them, and you see the uh, the hunter bugs like glaring eyes when it's updated. Yeah, uh, I I think like Dark Souls, like you encounter these like things that you can do if you want, and it creates a sense of like an empowering sense of freedom in completion. Like you don't feel bogged down, but, like oh I have to do all these side quests. It's like whatever kind of path i want to carve i can which is interesting yeah just to um i I guess just to fill in some blanks about like what this game is and how it's structured it is it is a uh metroidvania souls alike i think is is a kind of good way of putting it there are a couple games that have tried this i think the most notable one being salt and sanctuary which is also coming out for switch i think this week or next week or something like that uh Mm -hmm. which is very much just like let, what if Dark Souls was 2D? That is what Salt and Sanctuary is. Hollow Knight, I think, is the first game to kind of get the Dark Souls-inspired vibe, like, very correct. Like, they yeah. really nail this world, because you show up, uh, no backstory at all, you just show up and you start making your way around this place, and it is like, there, there's a hub town above the ground, and then you jump down into a well, and in this well, there is, like, a giant world that kind of unfurls around you and like a metroidvania game you unlock abilities which allow you to get to different areas uh but it has very 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 precise combat which basically means that you're just going to die over and over and over and over again you're gonna like bash (laughs) your head against the wall and uh try and beat these bosses but when you do it'll probably unlock a new ability unlock a new path to get to somewhere else uh maybe it's just teaching you how to beat a certain kind of enemy which i think is a very common thing in the beginning of the game where they just it have is. bosses yeah. that just become recurring enemies after that <laughs> yep which i think That's is brilliant a, yeah i think dark souls does that too where you're like you finally have this euphoria of beating a boss and it's like cool now you're just gonna see that dude everywhere yeah exactly like the first one you fight that bug that has this sword and shield that spits like bushes at you Mm -hmm. it's a pretty tough fight and then he's just everywhere in the the green path yeah and i think in terms of the precise combat and like the dark souls influence but in 2d there's definitely a heavy uh mega man vibe as well Mm. because that's another game where it's almost like entirely built around the boss fights 
Yeah. Um, which I think if you were to like reduce Dark Souls to its like most core element, it would be that it would be this like kind of sprawling labyrinth of a world that is sort of anchored by the boss fights. Yeah. I bring up Mega Man just because I think that that's a game where you do unlock other abilities as you go on, but it's also like up to you to beat the boss. It's up to like your understanding of the boss's moves and like working around that and knowing when to attack. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. And once I've re- figured out that I could attack some enemies from above, that's all I've been doing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I finally beat Hornix. I'm like, what do I do? Like, what am I doing wrong here? Yeah. I love that the game forces you to ask those questions, though. And then once you find an ability like that, or once you find an opening like that, it's like, oh, wait, I could just jump over her and then attack her from above. Suddenly, that's so ingrained in your brain by the time you're done with that fight that, like, that is now part of your tool set that you'll use on everything else from that point forward. Like they teach you via those fights. Absolutely. And yeah, it's definitely paced well to like the player's best interest. And I also think that at least in the areas I've been to so far, the layout of the map with like rest areas and areas you can like fast travel to other parts of the map are conveniently placed near bosses. Yeah. Because that was something that I could not, stand about the first dark souls was that you know i think it was the bell gargoyles were like yeah the oh clo- my god the, cl- <laughs> the closest bonfire was like you had to like go through like an apartment building of hollows to mm-hmm. get to the boss and like yeah. the chance that you would get to that boss a with full health and b with all your ss flasks ss yeah. flasks was like a 33% chance. Right. So I was like, just let me go get my ass kicked. Like, I'm so sick of getting my ass kicked on the way to get my ass kicked. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, but this game at least gives you like, okay, like you're going to, and it also like, if you're having a really tough time against the boss, there's a lot of other things to do. Like there's a, places to go and you might want to like not grind, but you might, um, slay enemies to get that currency to buy like new pins you might discover something else on the map so like yeah um, so there are a couple things mechanically that i want to talk about with this game that i just think are like absolutely brilliant um number one is just their ability to contextualize all of the things that are just like kind of givens in video games and like make them part of the narrative so you kind of mentioned the map maker there is a guy his he just kind of hangs around in all the different areas of the map uh, and and he draws maps. That's what he does. He's a cartographer. And you'll basically like as you're exploring new areas, you won't get the ability to like see the area that you're in until you find him. But you can find him one of two ways. One of them is you can hear him humming and he goes like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and you can like hear him from the distance and he'll get louder as you get closer to him. So he kind of like gives you a hint as to where he's at. And the other one, which took me like forever, and I don't know if you've picked up on this one yet, is that he also leaves uh, scraps of paper all over the place. So you can actually see his path to wherever he is via the paper that he's left around. So you can actually find this paper on the ground before you even get to him. So you have this like environmental storytelling thing going on where you're seeing traces of him before you hear him and then you find him and then you pay like not even that much. It doesn't really cost that much to buy a map from him. Once you do, you get this map. And then as you explore that area, you're able to fill in parts of it yourself because he's kind of like done some of the work for you. And like, that's a thing I've never seen done in a game where you don't get to fill in the map unless you talk to an NPC whose job it is to make maps. (laughs) I guess there was a little bit of that Majora's Mask with Tingle. But oh that yeah. Was like, yeah that was a bit of a chore honestly because you had to i mean tingle is like simultaneously the best and worst character in zelda yeah. um there were a couple but, areas in hollow knight where i didn't actually 
one one area in particular where I did not get the map like almost until the end game just because I literally could not find the dude. And there's just like this one area that I just like kept missing every time I jumped through it. And I was just like, wow, this is unbelievable that I literally can't find the map. Like there's just one gaping hole in the world map yeah. because I can't find this dude, which I think is actually kind of really badass. One of the other things I think is kind of brilliant from a combat perspective is your ability to recharge your health. Yeah, um, so you absolutely. Have, you have this soul meter. Uh, which as you fight enemies will fill up like as you as you land hits on enemies, it'll it'll fill up this soul meter, uh, which allows you to at any point hold down. I think it's the B button on switch to charge up your health again. So you can use, I think, half of the soul meter or a third of the soul meter to recharge one of your like little health nodes. But what that means is if you're in a boss fight or if you're in like heavy combat, you have to find an opening where you would probably be attacking and instead decide to heal yourself, which is like a very risky thing to do, because depending on the enemy's attack patterns, that might be a really bad idea. And that yeah. could end up fucking you over. And you could be trying to recharge your health and end up losing another one or two, depending on how strong they are. Exactly. And that's something I learned with um, Hornet's boss fight was that once you land enough hits, she actually kind of runs out of breath and is like panting in a corner. Yeah. And in other games, you might take that as a cue to like land a bunch of attacks. Mm -hmm. But if you hit her once, she actually gets back back up and is back to her thing so yeah that opening is actually a chance for you to heal right which is really ingenious and yeah it's it's definitely it, again another dark souls comparison like there's some boss fights in both dark souls and bloodborne where you don't have time to use blood vials or ss flasks right or like it, you have like a second opening too mm -hmm. um and it reminds me of that yeah the boss fights are fantastic the first one i think is the false knight um oh yeah the first one i did and that was really fun. Uh, I think Hornet was the first boss fight that felt like all the mechanics had kind of built up to that moment. Yeah, it's kind of a uh, father guest going in, in Bloodborne. Yeah, I, I was thinking that exactly. And uh, I, who would you consider the litmus test boss for Dark Souls 1? Maybe the Bell, bar the bell Gargoyles? Yeah, probably. <laughs> the I Bell mean, that, Barboyles. That's, that's definitely the wall, you know? Yeah, I remember when I first fought them, I thought the game was glitching because I saw the second health bar pop up and I was like, you, no, this <laughs> that can't be real. <laughs> also, I don't know if you remember this, but the first time I ever played Dark Souls was with you. Oh, really? At your house. And I remember like it was like my first time playing this. Like I didn't play Demon Souls. So like this is my first experience in this mm. type of game. Yeah. Yeah. You had that exact coy grin that you have now. <laughs> and you're watching me play. And then I think I, it was... Uh, Either the Asylum Demon, one of the first bosses, yeah. showed up, and I was like, okay, what do I do? And you went, you're fucked. <laughs> so, like, you're, you're fucked, that's it. Yeah. It was so funny. We actually got pretty far. We got, I think we got up to like around the Bell Gargoyles area, because mm. Asylum Demon, I think we figured out that you, if you attack from above, you can dispose of him pretty easily. And then yep. the Taurus Demon isn't too difficult. It's no. probably the easiest boss in the game. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, the Gargoyles are, are tricky. Yeah. I, I'm glad that you like Hollow Knight because you're not even at the point where that game clicked for me. Mm. It took me a little bit longer than where you're at because I, I find if I have two issues with that game and they really are maybe the only two issues I have with the game because I like really, really love it. I, I don't know where I would put it in my top games I've ever played list, but like it's up there. It's like top five, top three, somewhere in that vicinity. I find that the opening of that game is kind of problematic for the exact reasons that you were talking about, where I, I just think like they give you nothing at all. Mm. And for a long time, even past the Hornet area, I found myself just kind of wandering aimlessly 
without any kind of like self-imposed quest because like i'm fine playing a game like minecraft or no man's sky which is the thing i want to talk about later in games where you kind of have to like make your own stories and stuff sure but a dark souls or metroidvania kind of game doesn't really lend itself to that i need like a little bit of a nugget of something i need some kind of idea of where to go like at least in metroid they'll like show you on the map like here's a little point that you have to go to just find your way there and like that's enough for me or even like even more cryptically like you know the beginning of dark souls is you know you see this epic battle that's already happened and then the camera slowly zooms into your like rat infested cell and they're like okay that's you like you saw (laughs) you saw all these gods fight each other and dragons but this is you yeah and you you aren't told like you're the legendary one or anything you are a little bit later but it just it gives you a sense of the world and of the tone. Same with Bloodborne. You have that weird kind of blurry vision of the of the like doctor yep. or the guy who was like, ah, oh, pale blood. Yeah. Um, uh, so like you don't get a strong sense of you either have to strongly set up tone or story. Yeah. And I think that this is a game where after you, not to slight spoiler, but once you beat Hornet, you see these like apparitions of these like spirits or forgotten gods or something Mm -hmm. and i feel like this game could have done really well with like you lying where you end up waking up and just like a vision of them or some like something that hints at what the lore of this world is because again i thought i was getting into like castle crashers like fart joke territory and i was like all right let's give this a shot like i don't know if yeah um nothing against that but i just wasn't really looking for that and i was so happy that it wasn't that yeah and and that's not to knock the art style because i love it but i think that like because it's cartoony for some reason i was unconsciously expecting it to go that way Mm -hmm. um and there is a lot of humor but it works because the world is so dark and like there are these little pockets yeah just like moments of levity yeah yeah even if so that that game begins with you just kind of like waking up as a small little bug and you have you have a nail which you use to hit enemies and you kind of like make your way to dirt mouth and there's an old bug who is like oh you're gonna jump in the well a lot of travelers have done that before and they've all died none of them have ever come back good luck and like that's all you get yeah even even something that was like there's a cool thing down there that you should be looking for or something like there's a specific reason that people keep going down not just because there's quote unquote treasure would have would have been helpful and then the other the other thing it's weird that i think my only issues with the game are the pacing in the beginning and also towards the end because the and this might actually just be the way that i played the game and the way that i made my way around the map it's kind of hard to talk about how far you are in that game because you really can just kind of go anywhere after a certain point i think hornet is actually the moment when you can kind of like like the map really opens up and you can kind of end up anywhere yeah but I think the, at least for me, the pacing of my acquisition of abilities was like really off. Like my, I, I won't say what they are, but like my, my acquisition of some of the extra movement abilities, like all happened in maybe the last like five hours of that game. <laughs> um, so like I got the dash from Hornet, as you mentioned, and then a couple other things along the way. But like that was kind of my only movement ability for a long time yeah which was fine in terms of like getting used to it and and kind of like working it into my combat and stuff but i i wish that i'd gotten some of that other stuff earlier but besides that like everything else is basically perfect like the writing is unbelievable it all really the npcs are unbelievable like so one of my favorite characters i've ever met in a video game is in hollow knight and like you maybe talk to him like five times and he which has like one um, I don't know if you've met him yet. His name is Quirrell. Is he the like old knight who's like, you stopped me from slaying that beast? They save. I saved like an old 
grumpy knight who thinks he's great. Oh, the one that looks like you? Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, that's Zote. Zote the Mighty. Oh, Zote the Mighty. I like him a lot. He's yeah, Zote the, the Mighty is unbelievable. He has a great Don, story arc. Don Quixote of the group. Yeah, there's a there's a guy named Quirrell. He kind of has a mask on the back of his head. <gasps> oh, I met him. He's by the lake. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I met him. He, he's, he's awesome. Seen... His his entire storyline is is just wonderful. Yeah, there there are a bunch of what I love about that game is like you are one of a couple of travelers who are trying to do the same thing, mm. and and you'll keep meeting them along their path and like finding that they are also struggling the same way you are in different ways. Yeah, Zoth Zoth the Mighty is a is a wonderful one though. <laughs> a cool thing about that game, I don't know if you if you know about this, but they released I think three like huge DLC updates that were free that came out with that game that added like new pins, new enemies, new areas to explore, new bosses, things like that. So you're just going to kind of like happen across them as you're playing the game. There is one more that's actually still going to come out. I forget what it's called. I think Gods and Glory, maybe something along those lines. That's like a boss rush mode and like adds a whole bunch of extra stuff. That game is still being updated. And then they're also adding more DLC where you'll get to play as Hornet throughout the whole campaign. So like that's amazing. They're like really still working on this game. I'm stoked about it. I, I think I think it's brilliant. It's like one of the best games I've ever played. Easily. It's fantastic. And it's also like that's a game that has a lot of pitfalls to become derivative. And it's really not like even though there's definitely a strong influence from I would say like the ones I'm picking up now are obviously like Metroidvania. So mm-hmm. Metroid and Castlevania uh, and also um, Dark Souls. Um, I'm getting a lot of uh, Cave Story as well. Um, oh, yeah. Which I like definitely a recurring adventure theme of like falling into a pit. That's sort of like the mm-hmm. uh, one of the depending on the tone you're going for that's sort of like one of the hero's journeys like archetypes I feel. yeah one of the best moments of that game that i don't think you've gotten to yet and i won't say what it is specifically but there is a, there's a point that happens it will happen to you it happens to everyone who plays the game you will fall into a place that is the worst <laughs> it's not the place with electric jellyfish is it no that place is great though because i went there and i was like i'm gonna turn around i don't like any, <laughs> I, I got flashbacks of uh playing Ocarina of Time and, and just really having a bummer time in Jabba Jabba's belly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got that vibe and I'm like, nah, nah, not dude. I'm going to turn around. <laughs> yeah. There is, um, there is a point. It's kind of, it's kind of like uh, Asylum Demon. Like you will fall into a place and you will be fucked and you'll just have, you'll just have to make do. Um, and it is maybe one of my favorite games or one of my favorite moments in a video game ever. Cause it's so terrifying. I'm excited to get more into it, and I think we'll probably touch base on it again once I'm farther in. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I'm in like the first act still. Yeah, yeah, you very much Um, are. Yeah. There's there's an area that you'll get to where it's raining that I think that's the moment where like the game clicked for me. And I was like, oh, wow, this is brilliant. Uh, see that's beautiful. I, I remember you told me that and I was like keeping an eye out for rain. And when I got to Greenland, that was Greenland, Greenland, green, the na- the nature area. Green okay? path. Yeah. When I first went to Greenland, I thought, what a country. <laughs> uh, Green Path, that's where the game clicked for me. That's awesome, though. And I think the first area is really cool, and it's definitely like purposeful in its art style. But there's something to be said about, and I had this with the Fallout games, too, where it's like a purposely dreary setting, sometimes mm-hmm. being too effective, where I'm like, oh, I don't want to be here anymore. That is know? exactly why I didn't like the Fallout games until 4. Yeah. But um, yeah, the, the beginning of, of Hollow Knight is sort of in this like dark cave and it's really like well done. But again, it's like, OK, like I'm not really again with it without that inciting sense of urgency or tone or plot or anything. And that the first that being the first area you're in, it's a little bit like I, I, I was forewarned of like you kind of have to like let this game sink in. 
Yeah. But I feel like with Dark Souls, like you have that jury setting, but like there's something and Dark Souls does this probably better than anyone of like having these really gross, like dead settings. But nature has kind of reclaimed it a bit. Right. Um, Because so much of that game is the cycle of like death and and what comes next, you know, the era of fire and, and darkness. So you'll have these really dreary settings, but then there's like a beautiful sunset or something and like something else to kind of like uh, go against it. And not that not that I want a beautiful sunset at Hollow Knight because you're underground, but like the beginning area, I think, is just dreary and it can kind of almost be like boring after a while. Yeah, but it it picks up hardcore once you get to uh, Greenland. My favorite (laughs) place. Yeah, once you get to wait until you get to Iceland, it is just (laughs) magnificent. Uh, Sheboygan wasn't for me. Once I got to Sheboygan, I was like, eh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm excited for you to get. But we definitely have to talk about it once you get towards the end, because some sure. of the end game stuff, they, they do a really brilliant thing where like the end game content is like, OK, here's the combat version of the end game. Here is the uh, exploration version of the end game. And it's all like discrete things that you can go out and set out to do. Actually, you might have even seen them. Have you seen any of the grubs? in the in the like jars yet yeah i've saved four of them yeah so there's yeah. i think 50 or so yeah. in the whole world room in the beginning where like you can see them all being like thanks for saving me and and bug talk oh with the grub um, father yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think i'm i talked about this with our mutual friend uh alan but i'm growing really fond of like when games have voice acting but it's only to give you like the purest sense of what the line of dialogue is about like zelda does that where someone will be like huh and then yeah. you'll see like what they're <laughs> yeah. actually saying and this game does that like you know the oh, yeah it's like that's all we need to hear to know like what you're actually saying yeah i actually think it works really really well in hollow knight it in does. a way that it does. does not work in other games like they try and do that in octopath traveler a lot where like they clearly just didn't have the maybe the budget or the time to be able to record all the voice lines and that they wanted to so they just said like hello there and like it's actually you know 14 lines <laughs> does, of dialogue it doesn't work in a hilarious way though yeah yeah definitely yeah but in hollow knight it very 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 much works uh to have yeah. like the, the simlish kind of thing going on because it's purposeful like like you said in in octopath it's like in the major cutscenes they'll have fully voice acted mm-hmm. uh moments and then when you're just wandering town they'll be like hello traveler and then you'll see what they're saying yeah yeah I do sound like old brick. I just realized you told me that last episode. Yeah. It just hit me that I'm that I sound like him. Yeah, it's it's uh, I, I, I couldn't remember the line last time we recorded but the line that every time I hear it, I think, oh, this is just Stephen Hilger is um, <laughs> the battle is truly joy <laughs> every time. I'm like, oh, that's just Stephen. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, hey, I'm glad I'm in the cast somehow. In some yeah. Way. So anyway, Hollow Knight, it's out on Switch. You should get it. Uh, I'm not a person who ever really talks about the the value of a game like monetarily versus the amount of hours that you get uh but the re like if you look up discourse about holland night on the internet everybody is talking about what a great value it is that game is 15 dollars right now and is super super worth it it is like it feels like a 60 dollar game yeah 100 percent I totally agree. And, and I think that I had the same feeling with um, Undertale, although that's a sh- much shorter game. But I feel like I paid 10 bucks for that. And I was like, that was a beautiful experience that like I, I can't believe is that $10. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Stardew Valley, I think I would put in that same category. Sure. Celeste as well. I think it was only like 20 bucks. Yeah. Um, 
Um, uh, again, shorter game, but like the impact it has. And then you could also talk about like hours versus impact and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, that that's the kind of territory that I don't like getting into generally. Right. But I think it is worth mentioning in Hollow Knight because that game is only fifteen dollars and and the production value too. Because it's like that. Like, the, how big was the the like team that made it? Two people. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. I think incredible. wait, I think I think three with um with music. Oh wow. That's insane. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah. What when you get towards the end of that game or like when you're done with it, or like at least when you beat what you consider to be the final boss, I would recommend like going online and looking up the production of that game. Just like what went into it and how they did it, because it is unbelievable. That is it they their managed first to make that game? game? That's yep. a it's their first game ever. Team Cherry, right? Team Cherry, yeah. Yeah, because I remember I, I went on Wikipedia. And oh, I love that not, website. I, it's so good. <laughs> I like how we inadvertently plug GameStop and Wikipedia on the show. <laughs> hey, they're the two, two best spot. companies. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I do like Wikipedia. <laughs> on Wikipedia, there's no hyperlink to Team Cherry, so I didn't get to like know their deal. Oh, yeah. I really hope they make... I mean, i just starting Hollow Knight, but I would love to see more content from them. Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, another free DLC pack is coming out, and then a paid one where you play as uh, as Hornet. And then they said that they're working on, or like they have ideas for other games. And when asked what the plan was for that, they were just like, "We just like making worlds, so that's kind of what we're gonna do." And I don't know if that means they're gonna try and do another Hollow Knight esque thing in in a different setting or what the plan is. Um, But I'm I'm excited about it either way. They did say that they want to return to Hollow Knight at some point. So like maybe make a sequel like years and years down the line. Yeah. Which is uh, exciting. I, I love that idea. I will That's probably awesome. play Hollow Knight again. I'm thinking about starting it over because it's it's lovely. And now that I know my way around the entire world because I have it ingrained in my brain forever now. <laughs> I think it'll be more interesting to like know exactly where to go to get the abilities and stuff. So I can kind For of alleviate sure. some of my problems with it. Anyway, Hollow Knight. Go get it if you have a Switch or a PC. It's wonderful. You want to take a break? Yeah, let's do it. The battle is truly over. What does he say? No, that's it. <laughs> the battle is truly joy. The battle is truly joy. I know you said you were playing No Man's Sky again, which oh, I'm yeah. really interested in hearing because somehow this happens to me a lot where I just being in another realm of, of somehow missing the hype for everything. Mm-hmm. I missed the hype for No Man's Sky. So everyone was like, should I pre-order this? I'm going to buy a system for it. It came out and everyone was like, Ick. and. Yeah. uh and has since kind of forgotten about it. I have a handful of friends, including you, that have revisited the game and seem to be really enjoying it for what it is. And I think it's also a game, we touched on this a little bit with Octopath, where you kind of have to like tailor your expectations. Yeah. And I, I say that as sort of the people who I know have been enjoying it have been like, I just really enjoy like the atmosphere and exploring and all that. Yeah. But I want to hear what you're experiencing now that they've done this major update to it. Yeah, so kind of a history of No Man's Sky uh, for those who are maybe not in the loop, although I imagine most people are like if you follow video games at all and you're listening to this podcast and you're in the second half of it right now. <laughs> um, I imagine yeah, if, you, if you if you muscle through my all brick impersonation, then you probably you probably know about the No Man's Sky thing. But just just in case, uh, in 2014 at the Games Awards, they showed off this trailer that was really amazing. First time anyone had ever seen or heard of the game. It was the team that had made Joe Danger, uh, which was like. <laughs> 
which is like a trials biking kind of like spinoff. It was more cartoony, not spinoff, but it was kind of like a clone. It of sounds that like an early 2000s, like shitty Van Wilder-esque It super does. It doesn't feel like it would be by the same team that made um, Cell Damage. Yeah. A- anyway, so it, it was by this like very small team that was known for like a game that people didn't really play. But here they were underwater. It was like a space person, like a, a person in a spacesuit underwater. Uh, and they, they climb out of the water and there's like this beautiful, beautiful, like tropical kind of like alien planet with like a bunch of weird alien dinosaurs walking around and they jump into a ship and then they get into the ship and they blast off into space and it's all seamless and they get out into space and there's like a bunch of like freighters and there's like a space battle happening and then they jump to hyperspace, end up at another planet and then land and then get out. And that was like the most miraculous thing of all time when that was announced. Everybody was just like, oh my God. God, what is this game? There's no way that this can be real. And then the more that you kind of heard about it through interviews and stuff, it was this game where the entire universe was procedurally generated, but everybody who played the game had a shared procedurally generated universe. So as you were bopping around and discovering things, you were actually mapping them for everyone who will ever play the game. And that's where things kind of got off the rails because that was as much as they really talked about. And then people started to kind of fill in the blanks by themselves and try and like imagine what the game could be, which did lead to some problematic things, right? Like Sean Murray, the, the lead developer for the game, um, did say that there was going to be multiplayer in the game. And then when the thing launched, there was not multiplayer. He was just like, oh, the chances of you actually running into someone are infinitesimally small because the, the universe is infinite. But then, you know, two people on the first day the game came out were like, OK, this is exactly where I am in the star chart. Come meet me here. And then they went there and it's like, OK, so there's no multiplayer in this game, actually. That's kind of a bummer. <laughs> so, like, I, I do, I do think that they intended to put it in the game, and it didn't make it there, whatever. But anyway, the game came out. People were really disappointed in it because I think expectations were kind of through the roof, sure. uh, coupled with some of the things that they said were going to be in the game that didn't actually make it for launch. And it was still sixty dollars and all that kind of stuff. And I got it the day it came out. My foot was broken at the time, so I couldn't leave my bed. I was like stuck. I was like bedridden for like a month at that point. I was like, okay, this sounds like a great game because I can just explore universe by myself. Like, I, I was very okay with there not being multiplayer. It's like, I could just explore universe by myself and kind of bop around. And I loved it for that when it came yeah. out. Like, when it came out with a lot of people kind of acting as detractors against it and, I don't know, trying to come, like drum up with, uh, a class action lawsuit against Hello Games <laughs> and stuff for like lying or whatever. I was sitting there in bed thoroughly enjoying playing that game because to me, it was just a way to like turn my brain off and kind of like zip around a galaxy. That said, there were a lot of problems with it, namely in uh, the actual mechanics of like gathering materials and like crafting things and like the minutia of having to craft jet engine fuel to put into my ship so I could like take off from the planet and then shoot off into space like the launch thrusters to get from you're on the planet to you are hovering above the planet like that takes fuel and if you run out of that you have to like go around and craft all the resources you need to go make that and like I just found that really tedious and bad and then also the more I started exploring the more I realized there were only like eight kinds of planets that could exist so The game kind of had like a really, really short shelf life for me where I played it maybe for like a week and I was like, oh, wow, this universe is supposed to be infinite, but I feel like I've seen everything. So I as a person who enjoyed playing the game, I found myself kind of burnt out on it very quickly. And I can't even imagine if you didn't like the game, how you would feel about it, (laughs) having either or spent $60. So I put the game down and I was like, "Okay, I'm done with it for now. And then over the past couple of years. Hello Games kind of went on like radio silence for a while as they started like trying to fix things. And they released a couple updates here and there, adding base building, adding a couple of other things. 
But this week, or sorry, last week, they added uh, what they called No Man's Sky Next, which was like the big update that was like, we have fixed everything. Everything is exactly as we said it was going to be at launch. This is the game we wanted to launch with. Here it is. This is, this is what No Man's Sky was supposed to be. Uh, and it's a free update for everyone who had the game. So I was like, oh, I, I would love to jump back in and see what this feels like now. They added multiplayer. They added better base building. They added a real tutorial. So like you could actually learn how to play the game. <laughs> and, and they added a campaign. They added multiple missions and things. They like retooled kind of everything about the game uh, to make it both more interesting to a person who needs a directive and also more interesting to people who just want to explore things because they retooled the algorithm that generated planets and stuff. So all of the worlds are a little bit more diverse. All the creatures that you would find on them are a little bit more diverse. And I have put probably like 20 to 30 hours into the game now since Next came out. I started a new save. I was like, let me just start from scratch and whatever. Yeah. And it is just incredible. It is like the best game to either throw on a podcast or some music and just kind of like <laughs> zip around the galaxy. I still have those same issues that I had uh, the first time I played it where like crafting the materials to boost up my launch thrusters and stuff like is really frustrating and annoying that I have to keep doing that. But at the same time, all of the planets are so wild and all yeah. of the creatures I'm finding are so incredible uh, that I find myself like actively crafting that stuff constantly just because I want to see more of it. Yeah. Alongside like doing quests that didn't exist before. So now like when you land in a space station, it actually feels like a space station and every every star system that you go to has its own like dominant life form. Uh, or like a dominant species and you can kind of go around and you learn the language of these species word by word which is amazing so like when the dialogue comes up it's all gibberish except for the words that you learned that get oh, translated that's like in uh, Final Fantasy 10 with the Albed yeah uh, so like yeah. over time you start to kind of get more and more of the language piece together but what that also means is you can start to interpret what they're saying and respond correctly to the things that they're asking you uh which is really cool so like in the beginning you're just kind of guessing but over time you're like oh wait i actually know what they're saying now or i can like through context clues kind of understand what they're asking me and now i can respond correctly which means that maybe you'll get a mission or maybe your standing with that race will kind of improve one of my favorite things that i feel like you would love there's one race that i'm kind of like focusing on i'm only going to star systems that are dominated by them they're called the corvax and they're basically just like robot people <laughs> and I got my standing high enough with them where now when I land in their space stations or whatever, I'll like walk on and there's, you know, a bunch of them standing around the space station or whatever. And when I walk by them, they all go like, blah, blah, blah. And then they give me a thumbs up, which is like <laughs> my favorite thing of all time. You're right. I do love that. Yeah. I it's, love, uh, it's very that's, good. That sounds great. I mean, I, I, I think there's a lot of lessons to draw good and bad from like this whole saga of like No Man's Sky's like, oh, yeah. career. And I can't help but think like I'm not sure really who to blame for the for the launch and for the for the empty promises and the divisive reception. But I feel like, uh, you know, we, our first episode was about E3 and, and watching E3, especially at um, pretty much at almost every conference, with a few exceptions, the announcements for every game was like, this is the biggest game we've ever made and you can yeah. do anything. And right. it, it has everything and it's the biggest thing ever. Mm -hmm. And that's not like. I feel like that's become like what every game is at least marketing itself as. And like, yeah. that's not like inherently a good thing, you know, like I yeah, feel like agreed. so many games suffer from being like padded and stretched out to like 
say like on paper this game's bigger than the united states like actually (laughs) you know and it's like well if it's just copied and pasted or if there's not like anything to really get immersed in like who gives a shit whereas like a game like hollow knight is super focused in its ambitions and it's so successful because of it right um and it sounds like now no man's sky is like if you're expecting like a space adventure where like you know, you could do anything and there was action and there was this and there was that, and there was that maybe you'd be let down. But if you're expecting like Pokemon snap in space, like you're going to have a great time. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of, totally. I mean, not to limit it to that, but you were sending me pictures and I was like, I'm getting like really hardcore Pokemon snap flashbacks, which I think yeah. is a criminally underrated game, but that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> not Pokemon snap in space, but just like a game where you can explore and you could feel immersed in these like other planets. And I kind of got that sense, both good and bad and Starbound, where like, you would go to these planets and it was so cool, like seeing the variety at first, but then you're like, okay, there's like desert, lake, snow, forest, a monster might have a mouth for an eye or something. And that's like kind of it. Um, so like rather than just saying like, we have a trillion planets that are all different, like theoretically, maybe make like 20 that are actually different. Um, I'm having this really interesting experience where like, I I love this kind of game. I, I, I think, Back in the day, you and I used to play Minecraft together. Is that true? Did you play on our Minecraft server? We didn't. We played Starbound, though. Yeah. In those kinds of games, I always find myself, like, leaning heavily into just exploring things. Like, that's Mm -hmm. always my vibe. Like, in Minecraft, at least on our server, like, a lot of people... This is, like, back when mine... This is, like, maybe 2010, 2011, like, very early Minecraft That's when I played, too, yeah. Yeah. We, uh... I I just remember everyone on our server was kind of, like, building stuff in the spawn area, and my move was just, like, I'm gonna build a minecart that goes as far out as possible, because I just want to see the world get generated. That's, like, always been my thing. Uh, Same thing with Starbound. I was just, like, bopping around different planets. That was always my move. No Man's Sky is like built for that. And I, I find myself having this like really interesting, almost Star Wars kind of experience where it's amazing. You know how like in Star Wars, people keep either being related to the Skywalkers or they keep ending up on Tatooine by accident. Like it's like, oh, why is every movie on Tatooine if the galaxy or if the universe is infinite? I keep for some reason all the missions I'm doing keep landing me on this one ice planet over and over and over again and every time i land there i'm like wow this looks just like that planet and i'll go and i'll scan something it'll be like discovered by v bigly it's like what the fuck keeps happening um but my favorite thing about it is that the the like main creature that is on the thing is this what almost looks like a a failed mock-up of one of the characters from where the wild things are It's like this giant, creepy, like bird reptile yeah. thing. Uh, and whenever I walk up to it, it looks at me and goes Bruh! and then runs away. It like sprints away, but it's giant. It has like really short legs, so it doesn't go very fast. So I'm just like walking next to it, like watching this like strange bird homunculus run away from me. What I would give for like a waiting for Godot esque like two person play of like you and that creature on this ice planet. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I just keep ending up there, but I, I love that. Like it's it's hilarious to me that I just keep ending up on this. Pl- I've been there like three times so far yeah and every time i land there i'm like i cannot believe that i'm back yeah that that kind of like weird generative story i think is really great that's kind of what i play these kinds of games for is to just like kind of let the narrative unfold before me and kind of like let my own brain create it you know because there really isn't that much of one in the game with the exception of like the campaign quests that you're doing which are very loose for the most part but like the little tiny moments that they kind of built into the game like there was this one I just happened to be floating around in this uh, in this one system that I had never been to before. And I was just scanning all the planets 
from space just to see like what kind of planet they were and what resources they had on them because I was looking for a specific resource. Uh, so I'm just like sitting there scanning all the planets and then all of a sudden I see a bunch of freighter ships launch from hyperspace into the system that I'm in alongside a bunch of battleships that are like attacking this freighter. So I'm like, oh shit, there's like a battle happening over there. And then I noticed that the battleships were starting to target me. So I opened up my communications thing. I was like, okay, I'm going to see if I can like defuse this situation or whatever. And they were like, you can either leave or you can die. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to fight these fuckers then. So I just, <laughs> I just shot them all out of the sky. I, I, there were like seven or eight of them. And I took them all out. And after that, the, the person who was uh, manning the freighter, like the captain of the freighter, opened up their communications to try and talk to me. And uh, they were like, hi, we, we invite you onto this freighter to come on if you want to like trade or whatever. Also, the captain wants to speak to you. I was like, OK, cool. This sounds good. I've never been on a freighter before. I didn't even know there's a thing you can do in this game. This sounds sick. So I launch into this freighter, gigantic, huge, like beast of a machine. It's like amazing how big it is compared to your little tiny ship. So I, I land in this freighter. There's like 58 different ships in this freighter. I can go around. I can talk to all the people. I can like trade objects with them. I can buy their ships from them if I want to. But I'm like, okay, let me go talk to the captain because I have to see what this is. And I go off and I go into like the captain's uh, whatever it is, the like observatory. And he looks at me and he goes, captaining this freighter is really tough. And I think I'm done. Do you want it? (laughs) (laughs) He was just like, captain. Yeah, he was just like, I'm done. This is like the worst job. Do you want this freighter? <laughs> I was like, uh, like nothing in this game is free. Nothing in this game is free at all. So I'm looking at it and it, it gives me the option, like what is usually a, do you want to buy this ship or do you want to buy this freighter menu? But it just says accept gift. And I was like, okay. So I accepted this gift and I accepted the freighter. And now I just have this giant fleet. I have a freighter and a bunch of other like frigates around it that are like fuel and other stuff that I can now just send out to explore other systems for me and then bring back all that information so I can like know where I'm going ahead of time now. Uh, But also the freighter is a like mobile uh, space station that I can use as a place to like trade stuff and get like inbound new ships that I could maybe buy and add to my fleet. Uh, And I can also just like have a lot of materials now like because you have a very small contained inventory but now i can just like offload all of it to my freighter because it's that's what it's for it's for cargo and like that's a thing that just generatively happened in this game that i wasn't expecting i was just there to scan some planets and find some copper but ended up having this like whole like hour and a half long experience that i wasn't expecting to have i can't get over that i love the captain just being like listen you think you want this and then you end up in the in the pilot's <laughs> booth and you know the world seems so small from up here so uh you want a yeah. shot kid and here you go what's great is uh even when you or when i bought it off of him he still stays there he is still there <laughs> in the like captain's the, chair at the cinnabon booth he's like hey you know pays. yeah but when you talk to him now all the dialogue options are like he seems much happier <laughs> He seems like a much happier dude now. He doesn't have to worry about it. That's incredible. He takes up doing watercolors in the back. He's like, God, the universe (laughs) is so beautiful. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I just find myself like smitten by this game. And I I wasn't really expecting to be expected to kind of like jump back in and like see what was new and then leave. But I I, I just find myself drawn to it in a way that I really wasn't expecting. Um, Plus, there's a photo mode. So like I'm all over that as a person who just likes taking pictures in general, like 
having a photo mode in a game like that is amazing. You can use it when you're on land or if you're in space. And like both of those are unbelievable. 100%. Yeah. And that's yeah. actually what I've been doing a lot in Breath of the Wild. I take it. I just realized that you can Hell take yeah. pictures of weapons to kind of add to your glossary while mm-hmm. they're on you. So originally I was taking pictures of weapons like on the ground. Yeah. They weren't at all exciting. Now I can make Link pose and do like mm-hmm. kind of a coy like finger on the lip in the sunset and it's like this is the lysel spear um yeah <laughs> uh, i have such a fun time taking pictures and like also trying to take a picture of an enemy that's about to like mess my day up and just be like oh like good give me more anger beautiful beautiful <laughs> uh it's so much fun i love yeah. like that's where i got the pokemon snap vibe because it's like you sent me all these pictures and i'm like make a game where you're just explore like literally space photographer sim i would totally get that like, yeah that's that. kind of what i'm what i've been turning it into because there, there are a bunch of different guilds in the game there's like a mercantile guild so you just kind of like go around and trade money and whatever and you can do quests for them where you're like i don't know just like delivering products and stuff to different planets and whatever uh there's a combat guild which is like you just go out and shoot things in space and whatever or like take out like space cops there's like space cops on each planet they're called (laughs) sentinels or alternatively there's an explorer's guild which is just like going and scanning things and basically playing pokemon snap and just like seeing as much of the universe as you possibly can which is what i have kind of inadvertently been leveling up uh just by playing the game that way so like they have all three of those things in there for the people that want them. Like if you're driven by making money and going and buying freighters or new ships or, you know, upgrading your tools or whatever, like there is a discrete path for you to follow. If you like that, if you are into the space combat and the ground combat, like you could just do that and get rewarded for it. Or if you're like me and you just want to see as much of the universe as possible, that's also a thing you can do. Yeah, that's awesome. That sounds great. I'm glad it's sort of found its uh, voice again after after such a divisive launch. Yeah, it's really great. I I it's weird because I still wouldn't recommend it. Like there is still <laughs> like a lot of. <laughs> I mean, that's it's the it's the doomed path. Once you're captain, you're like, this isn't what it's all cracked up to be. Hey, you want a shot of this? Yeah, it's it is a game that feels very made for me and the people that I follow on Twitter who I also see posting like photo mode screenshots. I, I also kind of know their vibe and I know that they also like the same kinds of games that I do. That's why I follow them on Twitter in the first place. And like, it is a game that's made for a specific kind of person. And if you on the outset are like, I don't know if that's for me, it's probably not realistically, but if you like the idea of just kind of zipping around a galaxy and seeing whatever you want, like it's there, it's a pretty good experience. Uh, if that's what you're looking for. And like for me, as someone who's trying to catch up on podcasts or like listening to new music or whatever, it's very cool. It's like a very cool experience to have because it's very low key, except for when you're like in space combat. Um, but yeah, I like it a lot. I, I I just keep finding myself drawn to it. All I want to do is play that game right now. <laughs> it's not, like you said, like, like the kind of game where you could put on and then have music in the background just sort of like have that. I remember I used to do that like before sandbox games are really even a thing. I would play Ocarina of Time and just like ride Epona around. Yeah. And, you know, like enjoy the scenery on horseback. And I think that's also like Breath of the Wild lets you do that, too. If you just want to climb mountains and 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 be rewarded for that, you don't really even have to fight Ganon if you don't want to. You can just cook and explore. Yeah. Um, Which is great. Should we take another break and then we'll come back and talk about Zelda? Sure. Let's do that. Cool. Sick. All right. See you later. Bye. A, a toilet loudly flushed while you were talking about whether or not you'd recommend No Man's Sky, and I really hope <laughs> I really hope it's in the audio. <laughs> I will keep that in, in the edit. Absolutely. Are we back? We're back, and we're talking about Breath of the Wilds. 
again and always and forever i love i love that you're coming into this game at this point like kind of a year after it came out um i i've been thinking about going back and starting it again on master mode uh just because it's a thing that you can do Mm -hmm. um but before i do that i kind of want your take on like as a person who has played all of the zelda games have you played all of them uh most of them i haven't played like some of the more obscure ones like zelda 2 or like Mm. the wand of gamelon or anything like that yeah (laughs) but uh all the all the mainstream releases since like link to the past i've played yeah so you're like 30 hours in at this point what what is your take on it i felt this way on release too but i i think zelda and also to a slightly lesser degree mario odyssey but the switch as a whole it feels like nintendo learned every lesson like abruptly in a good way because <laughs> yeah. like I, I, just for the record like i think every zelda game is good like i think they're all really good so like the scale of a zelda game of like yeah what i think is like a great one versus like a less good one um they're all great but i think that the last two skyward sword actually really just skyward sword i feel like was the first one that felt a little stale to me. It is the exact opposite of Breath of the Wild. It really is, which is ironic because it introduces some of the things that Breath of the Wild kind of zeroes in on, like the stamina meter and like right. items. Uh, I think items break in Skyward Sword, other than your sword mm. uh, that you run around with like it's an ice cream cone starting to melt. Um, right. Oh, but, right, uh, because I had the one-to-one yeah. motion plus thing. I forgot about <laughs> yep. that. Yep. So I think that... <laughs> breath of the wild is such a <laughs> it's such a crazy departure from the formula and it, yeah. it it so pays off for it like i feel like yeah a lot of influence from games like shadow of the colossus and uh honestly dark souls uh sometimes like with the combat is a oh, lot yeah. more difficult than it normally was my favorite zelda is wind waker and i feel like there's a lot of wind waker here because i think wind waker was the first zelda game that made combat like fun um mm-hmm. you could parry you could backflip and and really every game since has like built upon wind waker's sort of base yeah this game the most successfully i think that what happened was a game like ocarina of time and, and even Link to the past were made they were open world games as much as the technology would allow for it. But since then, Nintendo kind of fell into the pitfall of like, we're just going to recreate that every time, even though the technology has far surpassed it. Yeah. But now they finally were like, no, we're going to actually make this like a huge open world that you can explore yeah. and still give you that. And everything about it is, is more strongly executed. Like the story, the story in Zelda games is often more kind of like ideas and concepts than like execution. Um, you get a stronger sense of character in wind waker which is again why it's one of my favorites um and you get that really well in this game you get to know it's so sad like because everything you learn is has happened before and all these characters you're you're meeting you either have forgotten or are dead yeah the the game like the the premise of the game is link failed yeah like link fucked up real bad and is now waking up from a coma trying to gather his memories back and fix his mistakes like that is darker than any of the stuff that happens in twilight princess and i think exactly which is probably one of the darkest ones um and i think that the idea of like reconstruction and and rebirth and starting from zero the first item you find this game other than your nintendo switch that has magic powers is As a tree branch as a stick and you learn how to cook an apple mm-hmm. um and the like the weapons breaking and you having to kind of live off the land and slowly building yourself up slowly restoring life 
to the land that has beautifully regrown but is is dying in a way yeah is 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 so strongly done throughout the entire game like the gameplay has that the story has that the world has that i, I always draw parallels to miyazaki movies i'm slowly realizing but i the, was also just about to say it's very it's very ghibli yeah it's very ghibli and and it's art direction which i absolutely adore and it's also very you know princess mononoke kind of has that theme of how do you balance like technology and human progress with living harmoniously in nature mm-hmm. and i like the idea that the ruins of the past are like more technologically up to date like they're futuristic technologies that are from the past which is a really yeah. cool thing yeah and that's that's a society the the shika that like lived in the world like properly Right. See, I love I love the idea that it's it's almost like Nintendo coming off the failure of the Wii U like we failed, we have to start again. We have to start from scratch and like do it right, right this time. And I Yeah, think, and let's insert that theme into the game that we're making. By giving Link a Nintendo Switch that has magic powers. Yeah. Um I mean it's not that, but it it's like it's pretty uh close. Um Oh yeah, absolutely. I I love it. I I it, it's so difficult to say if it's the best Zelda just because it is so different. Right. But I think that like much like Ocarina of Time, I feel like with the with the 2D top-down perspective, the old school Zeldas, the dungeon crawler Zeldas, Link to the Past is like the quintessential one. Um, that's the one mm-hmm. that like used the technology at the time to make that game as well as they could have. Yeah. Ocarina of Time set the standard for a 3D Zelda, which is also kind of crazy to look back on because and a 3D adventure platformer in general, like that was yeah. the first one, and it was fantastic. And I think yeah. since then they haven't really strayed too far from that formula. Probably Wind Waker strayed the farthest. Yeah. Majora's Mask strayed far in a narrative way because that game is like. They just gave David Lynch a weekend to write a Zelda game. <laughs> um, the, Gameplay-wise, they all kind of stay in the orbit of Ocarina of Time um, yeah. while doing some interesting things here or there. But you really felt that with Skyward Sword. You're like, oh my god, Like, is this all Zelda has to offer? Yeah, totally. I really enjoyed the beginning of that game. Like, I actually really enjoyed that Zelda was a character. and like, I, I felt like I, I liked her as a player and I wanted to save her. Yeah, But I like Zelda in this game because she's like, Link, I've been like doing your job for a hundred years. Like, help me out. Like, <laughs> you know? um, yeah. So I, I really, I think it's a huge improvement. And, and Skyward Sword was still okay, but it, it's, it's nice to see like the weakest entry in a series followed by what could arguably be the, the greatest and one of the greatest games like of all time. Yeah, it's interesting. So my, my experience with that game, I played all of it. I actually, I didn't. Now that I mentioned that, I haven't finished. Breath of the Wild. I've never fought Ganon. I didn't finish the last uh, the last dungeon of the four like main dungeons in that game, but I still feel like I got everything that I needed to out of my playthrough of it, having having done what I did. Uh, but that said, I put it at number two in my like ranking of Zeldas. If I had to rank the Zelda games, the one that I would put above it is the one that came after Skyward Sword, which is A Link Between Worlds. Oh, yeah, that's a great on the one. 3DS, which I think is like the first foray or like almost almost an experimental testing ground for what did become Breath of the Wild, because that game is a game where you rent items and you can do any of the dungeons in any order. But it is told through the Link to the Past world. And I, I think that game is brilliant. 
and as a stepping stone to Breath of the Wild is like extremely successful in what it set out to accomplish. And also the only game on 3DS where you actually need the 3D, which is kind of amazing <laughs> because like yeah. that was at the end of the 3DS life cycle. And the mechanic they added too, because like I think often the like with Skyward Sword, even though the the one one sword mechanic is interesting, it gets old real quick. And oh, it just, yeah. it's just so goofy to see Link running around with the sword like he does, yeah. you know, like he's about to drop it any second. And to not contextualize it, to make to make Link try and seem like a cool, aloof character. But like when he's running around with the sword, like you said, he looks like he's holding an ice cream cone. Like it's really goofy. Yeah, I have a lot of I have a lot of things to that game. But um, with Link Between Worlds, the central mechanic of becoming like a hieroglyphic in the wall is so well done. It, yeah. it feels like the minute you like learn that it's something you can do. And I think some of those Zelda games after Ocarina had the pitfall of like, you get a new item and you use that for that dungeon and that dungeon alone, you never use it again. Right. Maybe you use it to find Twilight like, princess hey. is probably the worst. Yeah. And, and I loved Twilight princess is like very high on my list as well, but it, yeah, same. It, it falls short solely because of that problem. And because like, they set up such a cool, unique story of this like Twilight Realm and Minna is probably the best sidekick other than the boat, I would argue. <laughs> Minna's great. Uh, the story's awesome. Wolf Link is really cool. And like, it's such a cool, unique story. And then they're like, oh, Gandalf's back. And like, come on. Like, like I, I love Ganondorf, but it just felt like it wasn't about Ganondorf until it suddenly and abruptly was. And they just sort of fell back into the same motions. Right. But he does die standing up, which is one of the coolest things that's ever happened. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's just standing there with a sword through him. It's a great shot. Anyway, it's awesome. Yeah. Play it. I, I'm just curious how you're playing Breath of the Wild. Like, what is your what is your MO? What are you doing? Like, what it, what is your minute to minute gameplay look like? Like, what's driving you? Because I, I found that the way I played that game, I think, was very dissimilar to most of the people that I talked to. <laughs> so I'm just I, curious how you're playing it. I prioritize um, tower climbing over shrines. I think that like having the map available to me is more. And that's probably why I like Hollow Knight so much, because like it's all about building the map up. So same. That is exactly what I did. The first thing I did in Breath of the Wild was I went around to every single tower and I was like, I just need to see the whole map first yeah. and then I'll do stuff. And it's kind of cruel that the game starts you simultaneously next to a beginner friendly area and to the hardest area in the game. So if you're like part of me wants mm -hmm. to venture west, you will be destroyed by guardians trying to right. climb this like thorn riddled tower. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've been doing that and I've also been cooking a lot. I feel like I feel empty if I don't have at least like a whole foods wild green dish that will give me a bonus <laughs> of five stars we're also sponsored by whole foods um uh -huh. although i think I, I definitely do shrines as i find them i don't seek them out because i feel like you know i i i've also been prioritizing stamina over hearts which is probably not the most beginner friendly thing to do but it just lets me get to areas i want to faster yeah i'm now doing the zora quest line um, which I'm really enjoying because Prince Sidon is one of the funniest characters I've encountered. Oh my god, again. yeah. The fish prince. He's like, hey, I believe in you. I'm like, dude, this road, this is the worst like trip of my life. Like, I'm glad you're so <laughs> morally supportive. But like these lizards want to like ruin my day constantly. And you're just yeah. having a swim. So that is technically the beginning of the game. That is like after the tutorial, that is, I think, where they kind of point they, you. They nudge you there. Yeah. It, you could easily prioritize finding your forgotten memories after talking with um, with Impa. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the meanest thing I've ever done in a video game is sneak into Paya's room and read her diary. Did you do that, too? 
Yes. <laughs> I feel awful about it. Like, even more bad than, like, killing anyone in Undertale or, like, <laughs> the, worst, <laughs> the worst, like, GTA runs. I'm like, why did I do this? I feel, like, dirty and gross, this poor yeah. girl. But, uh, yeah, they nudge you in that direction because if you venture in the further east, like, a bunch of Zoras are like, hey, Prince Zidon's looking for you. If you I mean, if you want, like, we really need your help. So you could go <laughs> that way. And like it's it's totally up to you. Like, please help us because you're our only hope. Um, and just go that way. And where the, and Prince Sidon, he like is really excited to meet you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like there's one Zora at the shrine. There's one Zora on the tower. They're like, there's one that's just swimming, and she's like, please don't tell the prince that I was swimming. I just I needed a day. Our shit is <laughs> fucked up. If you can please help us, go that way. Right. So I'm in the beast now, but I feel like. The the beasts are, I don't know if you felt this way, they're honestly kind of scary. Like, I feel like the music and the atmosphere are so, like, it's effective. Like, it feels like, I'm like, I'm weary of Ganon's power that he just, like, wantonly was like, the beasts are mine now. And they're, like, riddled and weird, like, yeah. night, atonal, like, Aphex Twin music and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, selected ambient works volume fourteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm doing the uh, elephant right now, and and the beasts are cool because they feel like traditional Zelda dungeons. Like it feels like the shrines feel like little mini dungeons. Right. The the beast, at least the elephant, uh, feels like oh, this is like, and it, it's kind of cool to have that, even though like it's largely absent in the world. But like oh, this is this is a Zelda dungeon. This is cool. Um, mm -hmm. So they still have like the identity of the series in the game. It just sort of like sprinkled throughout as an additional element rather than the sole focus yeah i found myself not really enjoying the beasts at all i i wish that i did but i i found them i think after the first one like the the elephant i was into but then when i got into the second beast and i was like oh this is the exact same like vibe look feel you kind of are solving the puzzles the exact same way maybe using a different item or not even using a different item because you have all the tools at your disposal right in the beginning. So it really is kind of the exact same thing. You're just like solving it the same way. Uh, and you're doing that four times. Didn't really appeal to me as much after the first time, which is why I just stopped doing them altogether. But that said, like it does set the groundwork, I think, for a sequel. Like they are very clearly I they would be ridiculous if they didn't make a sequel to this game using the same engine, um, but kind of like either went the Majora's Mask route and did something like really wild in that same engine or alternatively did kind of the same style of like I'm exploring a world, but have the more traditional Zelda dungeons, because I think that would really be an interesting move. But that said, yeah, I, I didn't like the dungeons too much. I, I ended up not doing them. So I started by doing all of the towers and then started doing all the shrines uh, after that was kind of my move and doing all of the side quests. And then they added a bunch of DLC, which added like Indiana Jones style treasure hunting and a motorcycle, right? And a motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> which is what I've been doing. That's that's kind of where I'm at in the game is just like being Indiana Jones, which is sick. It is like a very cool world to explore because yeah. the, the, the puzzles in that are like there are three waterfalls and uh, to the west of, of the second highest waterfall is where this is. It's like, OK, well, there are a couple places in this world like I know the world well enough where it's like, OK, I know that there's three waterfalls like here, here, here and here. Let me check out all of them and see which one has this thing. I think it's amazing. Yeah, I would. God, you got me excited with the idea of like a Majora's Mask kind of vibe in this sort of open world, which I think the closest you get is with the blood moons, which are like so unnerving the first time they happen. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I immediately first... fast travel to a place where I can just hide inside yeah. every time. 
Because like at first it's like slow and you're like, wait, is something different? And then suddenly it reminds me a lot of in Castlevania 2 where it's like, what a horrible night to have a curse. And then like, (laughs) but it's obviously like more, it's more properly executed. It's really interesting that you, I, I, I'm new enough to the mechanical beast now that I don't have a strong preference either way, but I think it's emblematic that maybe the formula previous to this game had grown stale because it is the most Zelda the game gets like traditionally yeah. <laughs> like it's the most I guess the shrines too but even the shrines like they feel very focused on one kind of mechanic or like you know they, they change it up enough that it feels like there's always like some of them you might just fight a tough enemy some of them you might have like a weird like motion control like marble maze you have to do uh-huh. which that one took me three days um and uh, they're always they're always fun. They're always pretty short, so they never feel like they overstay their welcome. Right. And and you get a tangible reward every time you finish it in the form of I, I forget what they're actually called in the game because I haven't played it in a while. But they basically once you get four of them, once you do four shrines, you can either level up your health or level up your stamina, which I think is kind of a brilliant way of um, allowing you to explore the world at your own pace. Well, yeah, exactly. And there's also sometimes like if you like there's there was one I did that felt like a carnival game where you had to like hit a ball with a sledgehammer to like hit a target, basically. Yeah. And I did that. And then there was a second room beyond the point where you would actually finish it, where there was like an item you can get. And I, I was never able to do that. And all, I broke all my stuff trying to hit this marble to the yeah. target. Um, so I just I gave up on that. The best thing about those shrines is the way that you can cheese them. And you can actually do it in some of the dungeons as well. But like, OK, so I have to um, move some metal blocks here and here to get like electricity to this point or whatever. What you can actually do is drop all of your metal swords and shields and then line them up in a row so you can like conduct electricity, basically using your swords as a wire connecting the two <laughs> things. So you don't even have to do the, you don't even have to do the thing. The way that the game allows you to cheese those situations, I think, is also kind of brilliant and allows for a really inventive play. Yeah, 100 percent. And like the ability to experiment in the open world is definitely like strongly encouraged. Yeah. Have you seen the the like speedrunning move where um, you use the time freeze on a boulder, hit it with a sledgehammer a bunch of times? So like you build up the inertia and then you climb onto the boulder. <laughs> here i come ganon oh um, yeah yeah and you just launch you just like fly through the air and then you let go of the boulder and then you're like parasailing down that's awesome um yeah it's a great game it's i wonder as much as i want a sequel with this engine i hope that it doesn't become like okay now the next era of zelda is like breath of the wild adjacent for 10 years yeah no i i wonder that same thing like is is this the new formula for the game because like everything previous to this was just ocarina of time done over and over and over and over again is zelda going forward this is breath of the wild but i don't, I don't know like because there's not even that much of a formula to really copy in this game as much yeah you know? it's more just the I, I i imagine they'll probably stay in an open world but who knows i mean they might this is a game that also is getting enough updates that i can't imagine there will be another zelda until like mid 2020s honestly yeah i wonder if it'll even come out on switch yeah the next one they usually seem to make zelda's like the end or beginning of the systems yeah i think skyward sword was wii exclusive but you know this was on the wii u as well and then they did the same thing with twilight princess where it was on the gamecube and the wii right and uh that was a great game i love that one well i'm excited for you to play more of it because i i would love to get into specifics and some of the side quests and stuff yeah because that that is my bread and butter for the game. There, there's one thing that happens. I won't I won't say what it is, but there's one thing that demands that you have a lot of hearts. Uh huh. That I also like. You started the game 
pumping all of my orbs into stamina. I was like, okay, just get stamina, get stamina, get stamina. And then as soon as I found this heart thing, I was like, okay, this is all I'm doing now is <laughs> finding shrines, getting as many hearts as possible so I can get this one thing. Um, and from that, like, that was my, that was maybe like 10 to 20 hours of the game was getting enough hearts to like get this one thing, uh, which I was really into as a like self-prescribed narrative drive. Thought it was very cool. That so. seems to be a common theme in uh, this, the self-prescribed narrative drive of like, which has a great meter to it, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> uh, we talk about that in Octopath where like there's enough room where like why are these characters together of like kind of writing your own story. Definitely in No Man's Sky where you're yeah. just sort of thrown into this almost like void of content. You're like, well, I'm going to figure it out. Um, yeah. I think there's definitely a nice balance between... Because I think like the term linear became a bad word for games somewhere in the recent years. And it's like, yeah, if you make a game that's linear and it has a good story and like it's fun to play, that's fine. Like you don't Mm -hmm. have to. I think the lesson to be learned for like a marketing perspective is like not every game, even though sandboxes are great, if they're not built to be a sandbox like Breath of the Wild is, you don't have to make it a sandbox. Like you can have good. And I think I think people are coming back to that a bit. But linear is not a bad thing. And find the balance in narrative. Uh, should we wrap it up? Yeah, I think so. I think this is a good point. I definitely feel so strongly like you do about the Switch and how I feel like it's slowly becoming the best system in this generation. Yeah. And uh, I am still really excited for... I just feel like every game I'm excited for on PS4 is like actually coming out next year. And I'm like, all right, well, that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, if it, if it wasn't for No Man's Sky currently, which I, I could see myself burning out on that like within the next week, realistically yeah um and also getting heavily into destiny 2 again as some updates are dropping and like all my friends are getting back into it as well so like we're all playing at the same time i probably wouldn't be turning my ps4 on yeah like i would just be either replaying hollow knight replaying legend of zelda or um playing octopath yeah 100 percent. but uh we'll definitely i think as 2019 runs around we'll have a lot we'll have a lot to talk about in the coming like months and years honestly yeah honestly on switch though like the next month i don't know if if you're like keeping abreast of stuff coming out on switch but like okami hd is coming out i think next week or in two weeks yep dead cells is out on switch next week which is like a a rogue legacy kind of uh it's like rogue legacy with dark souls combat apparently or more bloodborne combat which is like exactly my shit kind of like hollow knight was (laughs) yeah i i don't know there's a lot of stuff coming out that those games are both on my wish list and both things i want to talk about with you because okami is one of my favorite games ever yeah same it's uh and that's a game too that so zelda adjacent but like it has such a personality of its of its own yeah and i haven't played it since it came out so yeah. i'm like really excited to revisit it oh like, yeah 10 years later like i think it's been an entire decade since that game came out at this point yeah and it's still it just it's a testament to a strong art direction especially the cell shaded that it still looks beautiful yeah the game's about art like you use art to solve your problems yeah <laughs> or calligraphy and it has the touchscreen controls on the switch which i'm really excited about for the brush mechanics i'm, yeah. I'm just very excited about okami me too you I, just named i think dead cells and okami will probably be our next games to kind of tackle on this show so for yeah. anyone listening if you're excited about that so are we yes anyway that said hey thanks so much for listening if you're out there and you are listening to this uh it means a lot um here's the thing this is a second episode of the show technically and in these first weeks of being a podcast the most important thing in terms of getting the show out there is both sharing it out to other people that you think might like it so just i don't know if you like the show please 
uh, do us a huge solid and share it. Uh, but also, now that we are on Apple Podcasts as of last week, if you could go on to Apple Podcasts and review the show, these first couple weeks of the show existing are the most important weeks to get new reviews because the more that that happens, the more the show gets shared out via Apple Podcasts and, and the way their search engine works. So if you could go review the show, it would mean so much to the two of us. And yeah, again, thanks for listening. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. And my name is Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger and on Instagram at Hilger Stephen, because there's another <laughs> Stephen Hilger that's a very good photographer. And I'd also recommend you check out his work. Oh, I will. I will do that. Yeah, he's, he's really good. I'm often tagged on Twitter as him. And they're like, Stephen Hilger is going to give a lecture at the Pratt Institute. And I'm like, I'm really excited. Like, he seems awesome. I'm not your guy. Like yeah. I, I'll go, but I'm not. You the should one who... absolutely you know, <laughs> give a lecture at the Pratt Institute sometime, though. Yeah, 100. percent Well, anyway, thanks again for listening, and uh, have a great day. Yeah, please do have a great day. Farewell. Goodbye. Goodbye. Garbage dot online.